listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Hargens. Oh, hello. I didn't see you walk in over there. Thank you for joining this podcast, and thank you for joining this discussion in independent music. I appreciate you being here because this is basically a digital meeting room for those of us that care about independent music, punk, hardcore, indie rock, whatever you want to call it. It's this tent that I have uh, built here, this, this podcast community, as it were. And there's so many things that you could be doing besides listening to this podcast, but because you're engaging with it, it truly, truly means the world to me. And uh, I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart, my soul, my dog is on my lap, and she is also thankful, even though she doesn't know what a podcast is, but you get it. Anyways, the guest this week is Jamie Mason. He plays in a band called There Were Wires. Actually, maybe I should say played, maybe past tense, but There Were Wires was not a big band. (laughs) They were definitely a band that, you know, did their fair share of playing shows and touring up in the, uh, you know, I was going to say the Northwest area, not the Northwest area, the Northeast area. And, um, they just were a really interesting band, but uh, there's a couple things that I wanted to dig into with Jamie. He's the vocalist of the band, and uh, I got into them when they were originally around via a description of like a review, I want to say, of their demo. We dive into it in the interview, but it was just really interesting because that's essentially how we obviously get into bands now, whether it's you know friends of friends comparing it to bands and being like, oh, you like this band, so check out this band. And uh, you know sometimes those descriptions are not true in any <laughs> way, shape, or form. And sometimes they hit the nail right in the head, but it was really interesting. And I wanted to have Jamie on for a multitude of reasons, one of them being that. But then the second reason was that uh, their EP got re-released on Iodine Records, Sonimabalists, Sonimabalist, I'm totally butchering the name of the uh, EP, but Iodine Records was uh, you know, a pretty prolific label from the independent music community uh, when they were around. I think they started in like late 90s, uh, put out a decent amount of stuff. Casey is the proprietor of that label. But uh, yeah, he recently resurrected it, wanted to re-release this EP, put a bonus song on it, get it out there. And it's a great EP, so you need to check it out. And uh, that's why we had Jamie on here. But some things you can do for me. You can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I would appreciate that. Uh, also, get vaccinated. Just go ahead because we all want to go to shows. And like I know that uh, some of you probably saw the uh, show that occurred uh, recently in New York City, which you know I'm not going to go into it because you know there's clearly a lot of places on the internet people can discuss what uh, what that show is all about. But uh, you know I want to get to a place where we are going to shows and it doesn't feel weird. <laughs> you know I would I would really really like that. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead. Let's talk to Jamie. Oh, you know the second thing you can do: review the show. And I know everyone asks you to do that. You know, write, rate, and subscribe, and blah blah blah. But please just just go ahead, do that review, toss some stars on the Apple Podcast page. You know, type a few sentences out, whatever the case may be. I just uh, would appreciate that. It gives the show visibility, and uh, ultimately, I just want people that should know about this show to know about it. <laughs> That's ultimately what I'm trying to do here. So, anyways. Let's talk to Jamie, and uh, of course, at the end of the episode, don't just dive out. Listen to my, you know, maybe minute-long tease at the end where I uh, talk about what's coming up the following week. So, there we go.
I have such a distinct memory uh, about There Were Wires because, uh, I mean, being from Southern California, like you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, you obviously never came out here, right? Or am I missing the boat? No, no. I think the farthest we ever got away from Boston was maybe Chicago. Okay. So we were very, we were like a hyper local band for sure. Right. That's what I thought. And so I remember, and I really wish that I could pinpoint what either review or advertisement or whatever, but it was, you guys, because you guys did a CD demo, correct? Or am I wrong in that? Yeah, we had a cassette demo and then we were, we were a very DIY band. So we had, we had, you know, we did our first CD ourselves, which is like our first like full length record. Um, which was just a CD and it probably came out on like in five different, you know, types of packaging. Yes. Okay. So there's a million different variations of, of that. Um, we had a few seven inches, but that uh, it was a self-titled rec- record after a cassette demo. Okay. Um, and the cassette demo is like, there's maybe 50 of them out there. If okay. that. Um, so at most. Uh, that's all there is. I, and I know because I did all of them one by one <laughs> by right. hand in my room. <laughs> so. Right, right. And I, so I, I think that I, yeah, so it was the, not the tape, but the CD. And I remember, um, like I said, whether it was an advertisement or a review, uh, someone comparing you to Unbroken. And so at that point I was like, oh Jesus, like I have to order this immediately. So I remember, <laughs> I remember mail ordering it because obviously that was what you did back then. And it, it, it was interesting because, uh, it, I liked it, but I was like, this doesn't necessarily sound like unbroken. Like, you know, I see the elements of it, like whatever, you know, quote unquote, darker hardcore. Um, and it, it just was, it, it was interesting because it's like, I'm sure you've experienced this where, especially in the era of not being able to listen to every single mu- you know piece of music ever recorded at the touch of a button, mm-hmm. y- you trust those reviews in ways where it's like, especially if someone drops a band name where you're like, oh, they sound like Strife, like, oh, dude, I'm all on board or whatever. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that ha- I'm sure that happened with you. Oh yeah, and the joke's on you, dude. We never sounded like Unbroken, Although, <laughs> as much as we wanted to. You know, I, I mean, and I could. I could make this entire podcast about Unbroken for sure. It's like my it's my favorite hardcore band. Um, yeah. But yeah, it. I think that was, I was very influenced by that. I know Ryan Bakley, our drummer, drummer was really into Unbroken. And I think maybe just in some of the, once we, once a CD was put out by Iodine Records, I think maybe Unbroken might have been in there in one of the taglines and then reviewers just grabbed onto it. You know, and it we embodied more of the energy and spirit of Unbroken rather than the actual song structures. <laughs> but uh, right. yeah, it was we were we were still very much trying to kind of find find our sound at that time, and it was you know mostly it was just short, fast, punchy, you know, punk hardcore songs that had you know a little bit yeah. of a little bit of you know fast and a little bit of ch- chunk in there and. Um, that was, that was really, we played those songs just like millions of times. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of hard to be, it was kind of hard to find a, a a scene really just in that we, you know, some people would say, yeah, they're just, they're a hardcore band, they're a metalcore band, they're a screamo band, they're, you know, we kind of ran across all these different genres and we could, we could kind of move, move in and out of playing with different types of shows. Um, you know, we, we played shows with the hope conspiracy and American nightmare and, 
Converge and all this stuff. And then we'd play lots of shows with tiny little brand new bands way out in the suburbs. You know, we'd kind of just play whatever we could because that was really what we liked to do the most was just play live. Right. Uh, but I do, I do like that sentiment of the, um, the ambition or goal of the band in regards to the sonic sound where it's like, yeah, like, you know, we might not have sounded like unbroken, but like that was, you know, <laughs> in our DNA and like, whether or not, like you said, you accomplished that, it doesn't necessarily matter. It was just like, well, that was kind of the target. That was the vicinity of what right. we were aiming for. Right. Right. And if you get close to unbroken, you know, like then you're, you're, you're halfway there at least. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, totally. Because, uh, you know, and that was the thing, but so much, so much of back then, I think a lot of the, the four fans of type of labeling for releases, because there's just so much stuff coming out all the time could be, you know, could be accurate or wildly misleading, you know, depending on how, how you view the actual music. Um, yep. And, uh, but you know, we, uh, a lot of that stuff, we didn't have a whole lot of control over, but it's, uh, I don't know. We, we just tried to play with as many different types of bands as we could, you know, we, we would kind of jump on anything. And, uh, because that was really just the, what we wanted to do more than, more than record, more than, you know, uh, practice for hours and hours and hours on end. It was, we just wanted to be out playing with shows and, and, uh, just being part of that whole community. Mm-hmm, was our, sure. our, was our our biggest aim really right right and we'll we'll pull that thread apart a little bit later but i wanted to dive into you as a person um you were you uh born and raised in the boston area i was actually uh born and raised in new hampshire oh, okay yeah um and i lived in new hampshire until i was about 20 or so um but my family i come from a restaurant family and uh my both my parents worked at a restaurant in uh, around outside of Boston uh, in the summers. And I would go and work, work with them once I got to be about 14, 15 or so. So there was a lot of time spent going back and forth from New Hampshire to Boston. Um, and it was kind of during, during those years that I was the, you know, that I started really digging into punk and hardcore and stuff. But um, in New Hampshire for the, the first 20 years of my life. And um, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been back there, actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. New Hampshire. I mean, the, obviously, I don't need to you know indicate that that is a uh, interesting state as far as culture is concerned, because, you know, <laughs> there isn't exactly, you know, a, a ton popping off in regards to, you know, not only bands that have come from there, but, you know, independent minded uh, artists and stuff like that. I pre- so I presume that that was your experience. You, you presume correct. <laughs> it's uh, it. yeah. I mean, I, I literally grew up on a, a dirt road, like in the middle of nowhere, uh, in a town called Plymouth, New Hampshire. And, um, you know, I went to a regional school, you know, and went through all, all the grades and everything. And it was actually a pretty big school. Um, and I think because it was, it was a larger regional school, there was more, it was more likely to bump into kids that were somehow found their way into some sort of alternative culture or something that was interest interesting. And, um, you know, skateboarding was the gateway to everything. And I think, I think most people have like so many people and all the podcasts I've been listening to so many people are introduced to punk and hardcore via skateboarding and thrasher magazine. And that's, yep. that's, 
just exactly my story. You know, I was just a kid that I was interested in BMX and bike riding. I had a, you know, I had a shitty old Univega dirt bike type thing and I couldn't do a whole lot with it. One day I was looking at a BMX magazine and then they had a skateboard article within it, found Thrasher magazine beyond that, started to get interested in skating and that, and then skateboarding just became everything. It was just, I was obsessed with skating. And, uh, and of, of course, through that, you start, you know, you start picking apart all the, the musical ads and everything in Thrasher magazine and, you see all the, you know, you see all the greatest hit stuff that becomes your, your, your gateway bands with the, the Misfits and Black Flag and the Descendants, um, JFA and Dead Kennedys, all that stuff. And I was just, I, I just couldn't believe how cool it was. I, you know, I, I just, I just ravenous to, to figure it all out and to like be a part of it somehow. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've, I've been skating for, God, I'm going to be 45 this May. I've been skating since I was about 12. So it's just, I mean, it's just part, part of, it just never ended. It's just never ending sure. hardcore punk skater kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it is, it, that whole scene is obviously a lifeline to so many kids that don't have the ability to, you know, go to a record store and like all of these places that are a little bit, you know, off the beaten path because at least skateboarding was able to penetrate you know, especially like you said, kids, you know, <laughs> you were, you were able to at least find a bookstore that had Thrasher or whatever. Exactly. And that was it. It was the one thing that was accessible was to be able to read about things and you could go to the local, you know, Ames store or, you know, shop and save. And they had Thrasher in the, in the, the magazine stand. And, um, you know, and it was a different, it was a different time then because skateboarding wasn't cool at all. You know, our, where I lived, there was a, a large college and a very sports oriented college. And of course the college campus is the, the best place to skate, but you're a 13, 14 year old kid that's skating around with all these like just kind of idiot jock dudes that, you know, want to take your board from you and want to call you a skater fag. And, you know, just all that stuff was such a, you know, it was such a cliche really. And it's, it's funny how skating now is, you know, kind of a, a leader in terms of, you know, popular culture. You look at, you look at all these, you know, celebrities and, you know, uh, kids, you know, I, I have friends who have kids and, you know, all of them have Thrasher sweatshirts and t-shirts and stuff on. It's like the coolest thing. And it was the farthest thing from cool back then. I was getting beaten up for, you know, wanting for like having a devil walk, you know, <laughs> right. walking through the halls, and uh, yeah, it, it it was just such, such a different time, and uh, it was a little, and because it was exclusive, and because it was a little bit kind of dangerous, and you know, to to be a skater, then it made it all that much more compelling to me. But you know, it mattered more because it wasn't a throwaway, and it was just a small amount of kids that were that were into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It definitely felt like the, um, you know, you had to do work in order to not only just get into skating and, you know, whatever, be able to do a kickflip, but then, you know, the, <laughs> the culture that surrounded it as well, it, it felt, you know, you had to buy into it on multiple levels and not just like, you know, oh yeah, I just kind of like skating. It's like, oh, you either do or you kind of don't. Well, yeah. And you get exposed immediately if you don't. And that's yeah. kind of it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in right. or you're out. And 
I was just all the way in. And I just thought skating was the absolute coolest thing. And skating meant more to me, uh, a lot more than music. Um, at first I, I was a real late bloomer with just about everything. You know, I was always like a year or two behind whatever was cool at the time, but I felt like I got to jump on skating and then you you know, you, you develop friends that are into the same thing. And, um, you know, so I skated for a long time before I even like really started to digest the musical aspect for it. And a lot of it was what you would find on, you know, old VHS tapes like, you know, Savannah Slamma and all those early Santa Cruz videos, uh, you know, Wheels of Fire and and all that stuff. And they're playing Fire Hose and there's you know, black flag and, uh, you know, just all this kind of skate rock stuff. And it took me a long time to get it. But I remember the first song that I, that really hit me really hard was nervous breakdown. Um, which, which was in some Santa Cruz video. And I remember being like, this is, this song is just absolutely fucking crazy. You know, like I, I love this. It's, I, I don't know. And I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to really, you know, there wasn't a music stores where it was, but, um, over the years you find people that there's always the older brother types and there's the, the people that, you know, that, that have access to it somehow. And you need to get to those people to give you access so you can, you can start to collect and learn and, and find newer, cooler, more awesome stuff. And it was, and yeah, it was a, the, the, that same story where you have a friend who's has an older brother that has all the right records and, one day he'll he'll let you borrow one or share it with you and and then you're from there on you're just you're you're just knee deep deep in it for the next 30 years you know what's great mail and you know what's even better than mail is mail that comes from rockabilia.com oh you didn't think i was gonna go there did you but i did First of all, use this promo code, 100 words. That gets you 10% off your order, and you will be able to reap those benefits. It's specifically only for this show. So dive into it, and you will be able to find the best band merch around, all officially licensed, and it comes to you fast. It's all an independently owned business from the Midwest, and I, I just I can't say enough positive things about Rockabilia and the way that they do business, how much merch they have. Because let's be honest— you are probably craving some new long sleeves, some new t-shirts. I'll bet you if you looked hard enough, you'd probably find some swim trunks, you know, getting ready for summer, bringing out your, uh, you know, your your Misfits beach towel. They undoubtedly have cool stuff like that. I should probably should have looked beforehand, but trust me, they've got so much stuff that you would be able to find exactly what it is you're needing. So go to rockabilia.com, use 100 words as the promo code, and it gets you 10% off your order, and you will be able to enjoy all of the band merch that comes directly to your door. So thank you, Rockabilia, and now, here's the rest of the show. And what was your uh, family structure like? Like you said, your your parents are in the restaurant business. Uh, were they, like, you, I presume, running places and, you know, kind of figuring out uh, what cuisine to serve and, like, what was their beat, I guess? Yeah, it was, I, I come from a really, you know, just a, a pretty, you know, your standard family. Uh, my mom and dad are still together. Um, I have a great relationship with them. I have a younger brother and an older sister. Okay. Um, we, we all get along. We kind of always have, maybe not so much when we were, you know, my sister and I didn't always get along in our teenage years because she thought I was a weirdo. You know, she was, she was into sports and I was into skating and punk and right. Which you are. Blonde, I mean, which, yeah, right. Yeah, you you yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
and she right. played lacrosse and fucking slammed me into lockers. So that's like, you know, that's, that was the dynamic. Um, but we, we get along now. And I think, I think as we've gotten older, it wasn't until like maybe my twenties that she started to have like more of an appreciation for me. Um, you know, whether it was, I don't know, because I was growing up a little bit or, um, or she just lightened up a little, but, but my brother, I have a younger brother who we're, we're very similar. Um, we, uh, we both live out or in the Portland area now in Oregon. Um, we still see each other all the time and, um, yeah, it, it's great. Uh, my parents are still in the restaurant business. They live in Maine and own a, they own a hot dog cart in uh, Kennebunk, Maine. And they're in their 70s and they just do the seasonal hot dog thing every year. And uh, they, nice. Yeah, they they just, they kill it. Um, so they've been doing that forever. And uh, it, the, the restaurant thing was just a very, you know, a comfortable environment. Um, they've owned restaurants over the years and the rest of my, my, you know, my grandparents, my uncle, my aunt, everybody's been involved in it forever. And uh, yeah, you had no choice but to go into yeah. the, the family business, right? <laughs> I tried to get, I tried really hard to get out and I did for a while. Um, it was actually when I was in Boston that uh, try when I finally moved to Boston and uh, met all that there, you know, uh, met all that there were wires guys. Um, I needed a job and the, I had a roommate that was just kind of a random Craigslist roommate guy I found. And he got me a job at his place of work, which became my career for, you know, 17 years or so. Um, and, uh, very, very pretty lucky, you know, but it was, it was never meant to be a career. It's just, you know, I just needed to, to pay the bills. And that was in the restaurant delivery, uh, industry, um, like Grubhub and things, like early Grubhub type things. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so, so I worked on that, you know, in management and driver management and regional management and all that stuff for a really long time until very, very recently. So it's interesting because the, um, you know, the restaurant business is a, you know, transitory business. I mean, similar to, you know, working like a, you know, bagel shop or, you know, these sort of, uh, you know, the, the food service industry. And that is obviously where a lot of people that get attached to subculture get attracted to because they can leave for a certain period of time, then come back and then have a job. And so it's interesting that, you know, you've been sort of attached, you know, not sort of, you've been attached to that and then have been able to kind of navigate that through all of your, uh, you know, your, your, your trail through life. Oh, absolutely. Like, and that was, that was really, it was just being able to take time to, to do small tours and have, you know, be able to get nights off and, and stuff like that. Cause once, once we were in Boston and we were doing the band for real, that's, that's really all I want. That was my main focus for, for a long time. Um, well, I can't say a long time because the band didn't last that long, but for, for a very like intense, you know, three to four years, that was, that was when I wanted to do more than anything. And, uh, I had gone to art school in Chicago, uh, for, for a couple of years and lived out there. Um, and it wasn't really a place I wanted to live. I couldn't see myself really staying out there despite having really good friends. My best friend lived out there. Um, but I wanted to come back to be to just do the band while I had the the youth and energy and time to do it. I felt even then I felt there was like there's a small window of time that we're going to be able to do this and do it to the best that we can. And uh, so I I just kind of jumped on it and just we'll just I'll, I'll, we'll flounder for three or four years trying to make this work and um, 
if it falls apart after that, that's fine. Because at least we we gave it our all, burn bright for a little bit, and then we're done. That's fine with me. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. A, there is a time and a place. Like the, you know, I'm I'm sure you experience this where the idea of you know not going to school and you know pr- pursuing higher education and all that sort of stuff and just the idea that like oh well that'll always be there like I'm gonna you know do all this dumb band stuff or whatever you know dumb by the outside oh <laughs> at the outside side yeah <laughs> for sure like, that's true but we always thought it was it was dumb you know like we, we were we're we're a very like self deprecating bunch of people and mm-hmm. uh, that it's just always been kind of how we are so we we never expected anyone to really take to what we were doing. We were, it was always a surprise to us as more and more people started to come out to shows and more and more people started to really support us. And, um, and we were getting on all these bigger shows and, you know, cause we didn't, we, we didn't ask a whole lot of, of anybody, you know, we, we were kind of just going through our thing and we tried to say yes as much as possible. That was, my my thing is being like the vocalist in the band and the one who is dealing with most of the, you know, the show promoters and, uh, you know, and, and the people that were that were supporting us was just to say yes as much as hum- humanly possible and, you know, make good decisions, of course, and don't do anything that's, you know, you, you don't feel good about. But if you can do it, try to do it. And that was kind of our MO for a long time. And, and a huge part of that is why we ended up playing on the the East coast so much and around Boston and, um, you know, Connecticut and Rhode Island and, and all those places was because we wanted to do as much as we can. And we, we really love doing it. And it was a great escape from doing school or work or, you know, girlfriend problems and all those other things you run into at that age. Sure. And was, excuse me, was, um, there was your first band or did you play in anything uh, prior to that? Um, I would say there were wires was, was my first real band. I, right. um, I had done like very small little projects that may have done what, one or two shows in Chicago. Um, and you know, we, we originally started as just kind of a, a kill killing time joke band, um, on Martha's vineyard which is a little island off the coast of Massachusetts where my aunt owned a restaurant. And that's really where I met Ryan, um, Ryan who plays drums and there were wires and, um, and Jeb who plays bass and Neil, who's our original guitar player. And uh, that's where we started playing just as like, you know, on our days off, we would just get together and start playing music in, uh, in Ryan's basement. And, Eventually a little scene started to form and like more and more people would gravitate towards it. There's, you know, for, for a tiny little Island, there was kind of a surprising amount of like punk and hardcore and like even alternative people out there that were just hungry for anything that wasn't, you know, uh, you know, Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville type shit on the beach, (laughs) which is what, what what the, what the summers were out there. Um, so yeah, we kind of just we kind of just ran all over this island and like just I don't know would play put on shows in basements and like some backyard backyard barbecues and stuff like that and it's just like it was one of the best times of my life you know we're all working we're all super working class kids and we're on this island you're kind of trapped on the island it's a it's a pain in the ass to get on and off because you have to get on a ferry and you know all the stuff. So yeah, we pretty much just spent the summers there and just tried to have as 
as much fun as humanly possible. And a lot of that was just revolved around playing, playing music. And after a while, the scene, you know, we were popular enough on the Island and people had heard, started hearing about us on the Cape and a little bit in Boston. And we're like, okay, well we have to like, we have to get off this Island and go, go play somewhere else. <laughs> you know, if we're, if we're going to do anything with it. So um, I think it was about after like the, my third season, cause I, it was a seasonal thing. I would come, you know, go to school in Chicago and come back and, uh, and then, you know, spend summers on the, the vineyard with the, with the band guys. And, uh, yeah, so when I moved back from Chicago for the the final time, we all decided, you know, we're gonna we're gonna move towards Boston and try to do the band as like a, a real thing for as long as we can. Right, right, and that uh, I find the idea of uh, Martha Vine- Martha's Vineyard Hardcore to be hilarious because like <laughs> just I mean just that just that notion of you know because most people close their eyes and think of Martha's Vineyard as you know uh, everything that you would imagine from vacation and like really wealthy people and all this stuff and then there's this you know uh, weirdo subculture that's going on here where it's like oh yeah we're playing some basement shows for you know all of the kids who are vacationing with their family and hate them and <laughs> want to experience something else that's exactly. Exactly it. I mean, and, and it is exactly what you think it is. It is, it's, you know, right. it's, it's yachts and boat shoes and khaki everywhere and, you know, lots of money. And, um, but there was, there was a huge middle-class, um, population there as well. And, you know, Ryan's family lived there and, you know, his parents built a house by hand there years and years ago. Um, his dad's like a, you know, construction contractor guy and, um, yeah, it, it was strange. So even though like we're on this island and there, it's very, you know, exorbitant amounts of wealth everywhere, we were, I was, I was a bus boy, you know, I wasn't doing, there was like nothing that I was doing. I, we had no money, <laughs> you know, right. like it, we were really just like super working class kids that were in a place that we probably didn't belong, but we were trying to make, make the best of it. And, uh, somehow, somehow people gravitated towards it. And it's just, it's really, really funny that that's kind of where, where we came from. And, um, you know, Ryan's parents are still there and, uh, we've, you know, it's been a while since I've been back, probably like a decade or so, but, um, I have fond memories of it. You know, my, my aunt's still there and she's wonderful. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was a really strange time. And I, once we got to Boston, everything definitely shifted. It became less about, you know, fun. And, you know, we became a little more calculated in how we were spending our time and what we wanted to do. Because all of a sudden, like, everything's very expensive where we have, you know, rent and we have, you know, van payments and it, all those types of things. So, um, so once things got to the point where we really were like, okay, we're going to do it, we we focused in on it much, much more closely than than when we were just like fucking around on the vineyard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think that, you know, when you have that time to, you know, completely like have no cares besides, like you said, playing shows and stuff. But then, you know, when the idea of quote unquote making it like, and obviously that can mean so many different things to many different people but you know the notion of playing in a hardcore band like they're you know you're not gonna make it you're just gonna be like hey can we go on tour for a long period of time and i can come home and like not be destitute um, right that's that's, that's like it. success yeah, <laughs> yeah right like oh my god we made gas money like oh right. we're doing great <laughs> totally <laughs> 
I mean, split a split a subway sandwich on the way home. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Just you had just the idea of the band paying for something like that's like next level. You're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, wait, we can go out and get a pizza on the band? What? <laughs> Living the high life now. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so when I, I guess when you made that shift, and then you know the because I, I presume by that time iodine came in the picture, and you know you had started to more, you know, formally, formally release the stuff as opposed to, you know, the, uh, whatever the hand to mouth way that you were doing it previously. Yeah. And I think that was, that was it. We, because we had been playing so many shows, we, we were kind of able to get on some larger shows and get a little more attention. And Casey was very close with the, the Converge guys. Um, and he had done tour management for them for a while and, um, you know, good friends with Jake and everything. And originally we were, uh, we were in talks with, uh, Deathwish, uh, the label Deathwish Inc. when they were maybe about a year or two in, um, and we were going to do something with them, but, um, what our, our previous guitar player just thought, <laughs> thought it was, uh, thought it was just a little too corporate. It was a little too big. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't punk enough and it wasn't DIY enough. And we, we had always kind of had that, that DIY spirit of like, do everything ourselves as much as possible, which is why, you know, like I said, there's so many variations of all, all of our early, early releases. But, um, so, but we, we went, met with Casey and he was just starting out and, um, we ended up working with him just cause it was, it was more comfortable for, for him and, and everybody else. So we went that route and uh, yeah, the first thing we did was just re re-release the, the CD we had put out ourselves with new packaging and um, a live set we did on our radio station, um, which we almost got sued for it turns out. Cause we didn't really tell anybody we were going to take that recording that we were, <laughs> we were friends with nice. Yeah. Yeah. We were friends with the, with the girl who uh, was running the station and kind of ran that show and she gave us the recordings and we just used them. And then it, it almost turned into a, a legal thing, I guess, um, until she, she managed to talk them out of it, which was great. Cause that would have been the end of everything, but, uh, <laughs> cause it, yeah, you'd have been like, well, we're not a band anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We almost got in trouble for that, which is who, who cares? You know, like that, that was the funny part is like you, like you want ownership yep. of these, like this shitty live set that we put on a C- CD. Um, but that, so that, that came out. And then shortly after that, we started working on, um, the, the follow up to it, which was the, the Somnambulist record. Um, and, uh, and writing those songs was very, very different. Clearly like the, the difference between the first CD and the second one is pretty, pretty stark. Um, and, uh, but working with Casey was great. It was really the first time that we had like, God, we could not have to stay up all night folding shit, you know, and like, like stapling and gluing and, you know, you know, we still handled all of our own artwork and did all the the layout and design and did our own shirts and things like that. But um, just having someone handle the pressing of CDs and like something gets mass produced, not just one by one was really like, it was, it was such a luxury to us at that time. Right. It's like, oh, wow. Like this is, this is kind of cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and part of it was like, I like that stuff. Like I, I like, I like doing things ourselves. I, you know, even the, the re-release that we, we just did now, like we, we did all the artwork for it. You know, we were all the layout and, and everything. And, 
um, set that up. And, you know, we didn't hire a graphic designer or anything. And a huge part of that is because we were, we're all kind of like art school kids. Um, Jeb who plays bass and, and Ryan who's plays drums are, you know, they're real working artists to this day. They're uh, Jeb's a tattoo artist and he had done lots of design before. Um, and Ryan was also a designer and now he's into tattooing. And, uh, so we had like, we had a lot of good creative people in the band that, that we could carry a lot of that, that stuff ourselves. But I think just doing it on any scale was just almost impossible. Right. Right. And did you, uh, you know, as the singer, did you become uh yeller by default because you didn't play any other instruments or, or how did that, tra- how did that transpire? Uh, I, I think, you know, the answer to this, you know, I, have, I you know, I have no musical talent. At all. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, you're uh, us. Vo- us vocalists have to stick together when we are the uh, you know the vibe curator. Where it's like, hey, you know, Jamie, yeah. he's a pretty nice guy. Like he could probably yell into a microphone. That's exactly it. Just like, yeah, I can't do anything else. So I, I guess I'll uh, I guess I'll scream. And uh, yeah, that 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 was pretty much it. And like, I was always interested in writing as well. I think you know, I guess I was, you know, I also had the the energy for it. You know, like I was. I was up for it. And I think, uh-huh. I think that's a huge part of it too, is, is having some, amb- having a lazy singer is like, Jesus, well, like why would anybody want to want to have someone, a singer that doesn't really want to be there or put any effort in. So, you know, I, I was fully aware that like my contribution, I wanted it to match to some degree, what, whatever I could that, you know, all the, you know, blood, sweat and tears that these guys were putting into the actual songwriting. So I wanted to have, good lyrics. I wanted things to be thoughtful to, to whatever degree I was capable of. And like, I was never, you know, never learned how to sing or, or even scream properly. And like, <laughs> I didn't, but I tried, you know, I, I really, really gave it, gave it everything that I, that I could to, to have it at least not sound out, out of place with, uh, with the rest of the band. And uh, yeah. And in some cases worked out some sometimes not so much, but ultimately like there was just a lot of effort. And I tried to make up for that with like, yeah, a lot of the, um, you know, I handled so much of the communication for the band in general, which I'm sure you, you know, most vocalists do that because they're, they're the people that, you know, the, the crowd usually focuses on and is like Mm -hmm. that, that they want to talk to, you know, like, Hey, this guy wrote the lyrics and those lyrics mean something to me. And so I, I made a big effort to make sure that anybody that wanted to talk to the band about anything always had someone that would talk. I would be that guy that they could talk to, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You would, you would, right. You would dive into it because I mean, you were, like you said, I, I think that you hit a interesting point where you cared. And I know that that sounds like really basic, but then like you said, there are some people that, you know, uh, that is not, why they play in a band like the self-expression maybe it's like they are expressing themselves but maybe not in the way that um you know most people would uh focus on whether it's like okay i just like playing guitar like i don't care how i'm accomplishing that i just want to play guitar in front of people but then you know when you buy into the the whole process of like oh yeah i'm gonna be the person that's yelling into the mic and then also talking to the people and booking the shows and you know helping with merch like that all starts to kind of collectively roll up into something that like, Oh yeah, this is meaningful to me for not just this one reason, but all of these reasons. 
Oh, exactly. And, and I think that that was, for me, that was a, a big part of the appeal of being in the band is like having a purpose and having like a, you know, having something to be proud of and, you know, and working together with your best friends to create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts, you know? And, um, and the more, the more that we pushed and the more that we, you know, the more we said yes to, and the more people that we responded to when they showed interest just always paid off, you know? And I think, and, and I think every band also has gone through, you know, any band that's been around for a length of time has dealt with like, yeah, you have someone that's just not that into it in the band or not, mm-hmm. or, or the, the energy level isn't there. And, you know, we've had, you know, we definitely have had guitar players leave and be asked to leave and stuff because the, the energy output just wasn't what we needed, you know, and you, you can't imagine. And I, I reference them a lot because they were, I reference this, I reference converge a lot because they're a institution at this point and kind of the, in, in our scene, but you know, they all, you look at all four of those guys and they are just 100% committed to what they're doing. And that's a huge part of the reason why they're so relevant now. And if you had, and if any one of those guys was lazy or just like, ah, eh, I don't care that much. I think it would be a, a different thing. You'd, you'd have a different, you'd have a different version of that band now and, and not for the better. And, uh, that's that's it they kind of hit this this kind of this this degree of excellence of of being able to reform and to show up and to put energy into it which is you know really i think is incredible and especially in the the longevity of a band like that is is just it's mind-blowing to me i can't i can't imagine i couldn't imagine their wires being a band you know, that started in 2001 and then we're 20 to 20 years later, we're like, all right, we're still going. And we've been going this whole time. That's yep. fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> I can't wrap my head around it. Totally. Well, I, I think the, uh, I don't know who said this at some point where, uh, you know, this is in relation to just like playing in bands and playing in artistic endeavors that are, you know, musical the hardest part of, uh, you know, being in a band is not breaking up because to your point, of just like getting all separate people, you know, three, four, five, six people, you know, 10, if you're in a ska band of the, all, <laughs> all, all on the same page, it's really, really hard because there's all of these like, you know, diverging interests and real life starts to play, like just getting all that together is difficult. And like you said, you know, e- even when you're able to, you know, put out, you know, multiple records that like that in and of itself is a huge success, you know? Absolutely. Like, and that's it is that longevity and the, the willingness to, to find a path through all, all the shit that life throws at you and still prioritize your, your creative outlet. And with, you know, however many other people you have in your band and everybody's still focused on that despite having kids and mortgages and, you know, people dying in their lives and all these, all the horrible things that life throws at you and you still prioritize this, this unit. I mean, you, you can't help but succeed, succeed, you know, especially with all those, those hours of, 
of playing together. And um, yeah, I, I was, I'm always really impressed and, and blown away by bands that, that have longevity, especially that come out of this particular scene, because it seems like, you know, when I was, when I was growing up in this and, you know, starting to really get my feet into it, it seems like bands just started and broke up three days later, you know, like it was just this, that that was kind of the thing. It was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. a band sticking around for any length of time was, was an anomaly. Um, And now you see it more and more. I mean, you're, I mean, when did Taken start? Yeah. We play, yeah, like 98 or so. So yeah, it's the same. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like just, I mean, that uh, that idea of what you're talking about that um you know for however long a band exists and has a short-lived you know quote-unquote career and obviously using air quotes there the fact that it resonates with people and that they remember like all of those things really really bleed into the uh passion that people dive into this music scene towards and it's not it's not by accident that, you know, your band has relevance now where it's like, people are just like, Oh yeah, I remember that band. And I liked them. You know, it's not like, whereas like a lot of other, and of course, like, you know, those people that, and that audience is obviously much smaller than like, you know, the gin blossoms or something like that. But like, (laughs) it's, but it's still like that, that visceral reaction that people have towards like our music scene. I think that's what, you know, kind of uh, separates it from the rest of the musical world and output. It's a, people get it in a much, you know, deeper degree. Well, exactly. And I think anything that happens, especially in your formative years, you know, stays with you for a really long time. And I have a deep appreciation for a lot of the, you know, the first shows that I saw the first time, like anybody that was, that I considered cool was nice to me or, you know, like acknowledged me in any way there, you know, there was like a, you hold on to that stuff at that age. And I think, and I know actually that when there were wires was playing in Boston, that there was a lot of younger kids there that we were one of their first accessible bands, you know, that mm-hmm. um, because we travel out, outside of Boston and play small shows and VFW halls and we talked to all the kids and, you know, and, and become accessible. And that was, that was a big part of what I wanted to do. And what I felt was a big part of my role in the band in general was just to like connect with kids, not just because I'm holding a microphone out to them or, whatever, but just cause you talk to them, you email them back and like, you know, show some interest in what they're doing, show some interest in their projects. And that means so much because I mean, I know it made a lot, it meant a, a huge deal to me. And anytime anybody shows interest in what you're doing, it's, it's, it's the nicest thing in the world. And like to this day, you know, like opening a business, the whole thing is like, how do you get people to care about your business? You know, right. And it's just as hard. It's the same thing as like, how do you get people to care about your fucking band when you're, you just started. And you know the fact Mm -hmm. that anybody cared, we had so much appreciation for, and I still do because a lot of those people I haven't talked to in, you know, 15, 16 years, you know, I've moved across the country. You know, I'm in Oregon now, but um, people still reach out and talk and they're like, you know, like, Oh, that show was the best show ever. And I remember, you know, so-and-so did this and you did this. And it's, it's just crazy how much people latch on, latch onto that stuff. And it's meaningful and they, and they were there and they, they got to be part of it. And it's a nice, it's just a nice thing to look, you know, think about that, think of it fondly 
and see how it's kind of shaped you and who in and, and how you are today. It's, it's mm-hmm. really, it's, it's really wild. Yeah, no, it's special. And, and kind of on that same tip, the, um, you know, the notion of you, you know, being able to take a lot of the things that you learned within the context of your band and being involved in the, you know, hardcore punk scene and then applying it to, you know, quote unquote real life with obviously the businesses you've run and the industry you've worked in. Um, you know, I, I'm going to guess that there's a straight line between those two, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, you, you learn some leadership skills and you learn how to prioritize and you learn how to troubleshoot and you learn how to delegate uh, all the, all these things that you have to do and you don't even realize you're doing it. You're trying, you're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to get to the show, but the, you know, we we blew a tire. We're already two hours late. <laughs> you know, we have 15 yeah. bucks, you know, figure, figure it out. You know, and that's, and that's kind of what it, that's how it prepares you for life. And, um, and also just working together and being, being able to, being able to compromise, I think is the hardest thing for a lot of bands. Um, uh, you may, you may agree or disagree, but being able to be like, yep, this is, we can all, we can all feel happy with this. And I mean, there's so many, there's so many different types of personalities and egos that go into to making music and you see it everywhere. And, and, you know, and the, in the, the whole wide scope of, you know, the music industry, the amount of, the amount of times you've heard like, Oh yeah, this guy is like in, in th- this artist is an insane control freak. This guy's a fucking asshole. This, you know, like there's just so many different people that navigated things in a different way. But for me, it, it definitely helped with the with the the idea of being somewhat and i'll use air quotes of a leader you know someone that's just like okay we'll follow the lead we'll try to troubleshoot this is what we should do next and 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 let's go from there and that helped me certainly in in real life um mm-hmm. whether i whether i acknowledged it at the time or not but um yeah i, I can see a direct correlation to this day yeah that's awesome um and so uh, this may sound like the just a super basic question but it's like you know why now for both you know both iodine and there were wires to you know basically be able to make sure that uh, you know this project is appropriately you know documented and out there in regards to you know being available everywhere not only on vinyl but then you know on on digital providers even though you know the the version there were obviously, you know, different versions out there that existed previously. Um, but, you know, did, did this idea kind of get kicked off by you guys collectively talking about it and being like, hey, Casey, you want to do this? Or was it kind of vice versa? Well, it, it's actually a pretty interesting story. So so back in 2003, when we had released the the Somnambulist record, which was our last record, um, I, it was on iodine. And uh, Casey was running iodine with a friend. Um, and I, he was going through a really hard time. He, uh, I, I think he was definitely having financial issues. Um, iodine had taken on a lot really quickly. I think, you know, I think they had the best intentions. They, they, you know, Casey really wanted to be like a, a jade tree type of label where, you know, he has all these kind of different records and iodine had a lot of different types of artists, you know, you had more of the, you know, hardcore stuff, some more rock things, some emo. He was one of the first guys to, to uh, get brand new, um, on the label. Yep. And, um, 
so he had some su- success and he had a good he had a good eye and ear for for what would be what would be popular but i think he just bit off a little too too much um too soon um so the label basically folded right as the record came out so um and casey you know i think he was going through some some just life stuff you know like a little bit of a little bit of a crisis and he had to walk away from it and i I don't blame him at all um but unfortunately that meant that all the things that were supposed to happen with that record just never happened none of the promotion none of the you know getting anything out to uh you know magazines or websites or any of that it basically just fell flat and we walked away with just handfuls of CDs with, you know, not really knowing what to do with them. Um, so it was a bummer and we were, we we're, you know, obviously not thrilled with it at the time, but, um, you know, we, shit happens and we're, we're okay with that. Um, shortly after, you know, one, one of our guitarists decided to leave, he just didn't want to play music anymore. Um, and, uh, I had been thinking about moving to the West Coast for a long time um, with, to, to go with my girl and, uh, and just get out of Boston. I was not, I really just wasn't very happy in Boston anymore. And I thought uh, a change of scenery would be good. So um, we kind of split from there. We did a, you know, a final show. Um, the rest of the guys went on to do uh, Disappear, which is a really great, like kind of atmospheric, doomy sludge band. Kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, pretty. I don't know if you've you've heard them, but they're. Oh, yeah, no, I, I definitely was like, yo, I'm on board with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think they're very, very under. I talk about it in every single podcast, but I, I love those guys, and like they're like my yep. favorite people. And I think that record, their records are great. The demos, everything are are awesome. So, and that was actually going to be the later. Um, there were wire stuff, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those riffs and a lot of those song structures were going to be there were wires. I was going to be in Disappearer. Uh, I was going to sing and disappear, but um, I just couldn't really do it. I, I I wasn't motivated to do it, and my mind was was elsewhere. And uh, I just felt like I I felt it was better if I just split quickly before we started recording things or or anything, and then had to leave. So um, so they they were like instrumental for a while before Jeb started singing and. Man, it, it, their stuff is so good. But um, so anyway, I uh, so I left to to go to Oregon, and that was kind of it, you know. Like, and I hadn't talked to Casey for a very long time. Um, but our friend Paul from who runs a, a record label, Tor Johnson, which is a small DIY label. He's been like DIY till death since day one, and he's a real staple of the the you know real underground DIY hardcore scene in in the Boston area. Um, he wanted to do, he put out a discography for a band called Moment, which was a band we were very good friends with, um, in the Boston days. And they were more of like, kind of a, like a punk emo hardcore band, sort of like in the piebald vein, maybe a little more poppy, but they were really great guys. Our guitarist Thomas played, played in them as well. And, uh, he wanted to do a discography and, he kind of just, I think he just messaged me either via email or Instagram or something. And he just asked if I would write some liner notes for the moment discography. I was like, Oh yeah, that's really cool. That's awesome. You're doing that, you know? And, uh, and it was during that process, he asked if there were wires would ever be interested in, you know, re-releasing some of the records on, on vinyl or whatever. And we were like, 
yeah, maybe. I don't <laughs> why? <laughs> you know, like why would anyone fucking care? Right. But you know, but uh I talked to the guys about it. Um and everyone was like, Yeah, it would be it'd actually be pretty cool to uh to see those that release kind of get the the treatment it deserves, you know, because we still really like the record. We're we're proud of it, even to this day. We've, you know, hardly ever played any of those songs live. There's just a lot of things we didn't get to do. And we didn't get, you know, we just didn't see it come out the way we wanted to. And uh, this was sort of a chance to to redo it. And um, and then Casey kind of came out of the woodwork shortly after that and was like, kind of just convinced everybody to do it as a, a, a split release with between him and Tor Johnson because he wanted to, to revitalize the iodine brand and and i think he what he wanted to do was kind of make amends for how things had ended and um and at this point where we are now with with this re-release it's like it's it's better than we thought possible you know he put so much energy and effort and uh uh more more than we ever expected and uh i mean i you know i think i one of our one of our tracks or a video just showed up on decibel on the front page of decibel website today. So Mm -hmm. that's not what we anticipated at all. (laughs) You know, that's like, that's wow. That's, that's crazy. So we're all, we're all really happy how it turned out, but I think it really was just something I think Casey had had it in his head that, you know, that he knows he, he disappointed some people and he wanted to make it right. And he had been thinking about it for well over a decade. And, uh, and now this is, this was the first step of restarting the iodine record and he's going to be re-releasing other, other records on vinyl as well. And, um, and maybe doing some other projects, but, um, he's in a better spot and he's, yeah, it's been really, really great. The amount of energy and attention he's given it while we're still all like, we're all over the place and we're trying to like, we're trying to keep up with Casey, not Casey trying to keep up with us. So that's, you know, that's a, that's really really been fantastic and um it's funny it's definitely weird to do it now but we've also we've also never really we've never shied away from the idea of of getting back together and maybe doing doing at least another reunion doing a reunion show or a small you know tour of sorts or or even writing again but um yeah i i think that's i think that that's pretty much the crux of it is just why not now, especially when it's, you know, this kind of like we're living in the dead zone of COVID, like why not focus on something positive, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah. And so now we have a, we have a, a brand new re re-release record that uh, looks the way we wanted to originally on the format we wanted and is now getting the promotion, you know, that we wanted to. So it's uh it's really really cool and the the response has been great. I think we sold out of the first pre-order in like 2 hours. Um, yeah, that's great. That's great. It was wild. Yeah. <clears throat> right, for sure. You were, you were like, "Hey, uh, you know, selling 200 records when we were actually playing it around, like uh, that would that would have taken us at least 40 shows." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like exactly, you know. But and that's the thing is like I it's just just blow, blows my mind that people people still care and I'm I'm really, you know, I'm really thankful for it. I really I have, I have a lot of gratitude for the people that still stick around and still message message us and are you know like oh you know what you should do put out this shirt again and you know it's like oh my god i haven't even thought about those designs and stuff in so long and it's just it's just really cool but 
I, right. <laughs> it just goes to kind of show you just how like how timeless things can be. You know, like not that there are wires was a timeless band, but just how you can, you know, you can hold on to something for for that long. Something can remain that important to you um, for for decades. And and I get it because I'm the same way with my favorite bands. If my you know if Kiss It Goodbye reunited, you know, I, I'd be I'd hit any show within a hundred miles to see them, you know? Um, so I get it. I, I totally get it. And uh, I'm, it, it's cool that there's just a lot of other people that kind of think like me and are still, you know, don't look back at their, their history with, you know, uh, with disdain and, you know, and feel embarrassed by it, you know, cause I'm not really embarrassed by anything that we've done. Um, some stuff holds up other, better than others, but, Mostly, I, I'm like I'm stoked on it. I think it was it was cool. It's one of the coolest things I've I've got to do in life was be some guy with no no real skills, no musical talent, no anything, but got to be in a band that meant something to someone. And that's I mean that's that's all you can really ask. Right. That's yeah. That's a win, and not everybody gets to experience that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jamie, thanks for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate this because I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to look at a band that, you know, has a limited recording output. And like you said, you know, d- didn't tour out to the West Coast and all of these things that are quote unquote limitations. But like you said, it's, you know, the the, the music and the art you put out in the world, um, you don't know how it's going to impact people. So it's just really, it's uh, it's cool to put that all in kind of perspective. So yeah, I appreciate you hanging out. Yeah, man, it was really good talking to you. I, I appreciate you making the time. Okay, that was Jamie Mason from There Were Wires. And like I said, their re-released EP, Somabalist, which again, I'm butchering it, but find it wherever. There's also some vinyl for sale. And uh, yeah, go to Iodine or just Google Iodine Recordings and you will be able to find their web store and all that other fun stuff. But thank you very much, Casey. Thank you very much, Jamie, for coming on the show, making this happen, bringing the idea to me. I always appreciate those ideas. Um, yeah, next week we have this, this was a, a random, random guest. And I mean that in the best way possible. There is a person, his name is Jason Stewart. He, uh, is a DJ operating under the name, uh, them jeans. He, uh, basically is an old orange County hardcore kid. He is a uh, host of a podcast called how long gone. Um, you know, does a lot of stuff within the sort of culinary industry. He's basically just kind of a a cool guy. (laughs) And I don't use that in a disparaging way, but uh, it was one of those things. I got into his podcast, I started listening to it, and I was like, man, this guy talks a lot about you know Orange County Hardcore growing up in Orange County. And then once I saw a picture of him, I'm like, oh, dude, I totally remember that guy from shows. But anyways, it was a really fun conversation. And uh, yeah, Jason's just a, a super interesting dude and has a lot of uh, different perspectives as far as you know culture and how he has uh, you know taken all those principles that he's learned in the DIY community into all of the random stuff that he has done with his life. So it's very, very cool. So that's what we got next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody.